Well, good morning, church. How's everyone doing? Come on. I, I love Baptism Sundays. There's something so special. And I loved how many children we had baptized this morning. Like, come on. That was amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's give it up for them. I don't know if that, some of them might be still changing, but this is an amazing decision, and we're just so happy to celebrate with you. And as Joy said, there's cake after the service. So I'll try to maybe possibly think about keeping it short so we can get to cake. Anyways, well, welcome to week number four of our fall series that we're calling Gods at War. Now, I know we probably have some people in the room that you came up to visit family for the weekend and then they dragged you along to church or some people who, who you had a family member getting baptized. So, so for those of you who don't really know what this series is about, Basically, this series is about the things that we love that don't love us back. Like the reason it's called God's at war, it's not God is at war. It's plural, that there is a war going on for your heart between God who created you and the false gods of the world that we turn to. These false gods that seek our attention, that seek our affection, that desire to, to, to just envelop us and to take over our, our focus. These things that promise us the world, but leave us with nothing. And we, we ta we're talking about this because the, the reality we really see both in biblical times and in our modern age is that idolatry is a very common issue. And idolatry, it's not about, oh, look, there's a statue. I'm going to go bow down and, and sing songs to it or pray to it or whatnot. Idolatry is as simple as whatever you put first in your life. Do you put God first or do you put pleasure or comfort or yourself? What is first in your life? Because there's a war going on for your attention and your affection. And if we're realistic, it's a war that God could win in a second with a snap of his fingers. He could do the whole Thanos snap. All the false gods would be gone. There'd be no issues. But God is a gentleman. And he will never force himself on you. He will always give us an option to choose. And so the focus of this series has, has been really, who will you choose? What will you choose? Will you choose to serve God or will you choose to serve comfort? We talked about that two weeks ago. Will you forfeit your calling in pursuit of a comfortable life or, or turn to things in the world that promise you comfort in a moment of pain but really can't satisfy that need? Last week, Spencer talked to us about, will you choose God or will you choose pleasure? Well, that's a really convicting one. It's a very heavy topic. But it's an important one because so often we look for joy in things that the world says is important. Or we look for value or, 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 or we just, we want to feel something so we turn to things. And God's saying, will you choose me or will you choose this false God. 
Because there's a war going on for your heart and God is jealous for you. He doesn't want to be your top five pick. He wants to be your number one pick. He wants to be the only pick in your priority list. So who will you put first? Who will you choose? This morning, I want to uh, dig into the next of the many, many false gods we're going to talk about throughout this series. I want to talk about a God that our society kind of elevates. We promote, we, we, we look at, we, we strive to, to pursue because we, we have, a, if we're real, we have a very workaholic and like busy society. And we look to this God as, as a source of value to determine whether or not we matter in life. And, and I want to talk to you about the God, the false God of pride. Now, right off the top, because I'm sure there's people in here who you've had conversations with other people, maybe it was Christians, maybe you heard a message about it, or somebody came up and talked about pride and was like, you need to be humble, which means you should be depressed and hate your life. That's not what we're talking about. Or, or often we think about pride in terms of, oh, look, I just succeeded at something. Wow, I scored the winning goal. Oh, I can't celebrate, otherwise I'm being proud. And I, just off the top, I just want to be clear. There's nothing wrong with being proud when you do something good. You get that promotion, amazing, good job. You get a nice car, awesome, that's great. You score the winning goal, congrats, that's amazing. Celebrate, that's great. And there's nothing wrong with knowing your value, the value of who you are, and standing firm in that. But the problem is when things, like we, when we turn to things like our accomplishments, or our successes, or, or what we can achieve, and we turn to those things to give us value. See, the God of a pride is a God that puffs up or tears down. Now I know you might be thinking, okay, those are two opposite things. Puff up, like build you up so you feel that you're better than everyone else or tear you down so you feel worse. Yeah, two very different things. Same, or two sides of the same coin. Pride, if you succeed, will be like, yes, you're amazing. And if you fail, be like, wow. How awful are you? When we succeed, pride tells us, oh, look what you did. You might have succeeded with a team of 500 people, and it's like, oh, you're amazing. They didn't do anything. It was all your contribution. You're better than everyone else. And when you fail, pride tells you, ooh, yeah, you better hide that. Because you don't want anyone else to see that failure. Because if they do, they're going to reject you. You better blame it on someone else. You better justify your dysfunction. There's nothing wrong with that. It's like you're driving down the road, you, hit, you, you rear-end somebody, and, and, and you're like, oh, it was their fault. Well, you were texting. Probably wasn't their fault. But that's what pride does. Pride tells, tries to tell us that our value is determined by our performance. That we matter only when we succeed. And if we don't succeed, then we don't matter. 
But you see, the danger of pride is, is pride is a false god. It'll keep you running on a treadmill forever, seeking after value and success, but never actually finding what you seek. Because our value does not and cannot come from what we accomplish. Our value can only come from our Father in heaven. See, in, uh, in First Chronicles chapter 26, there's a story about a king that I'm sure all of you know this story by heart. It's a king named Uzziah. And when I say you know it by heart, it's like I went into the back catalog of like Bible stories for this message. Um, it's a king, random king named Uzziah. If you've never heard his name, that's fine. I'll explain it. Basically, what's happened up to this point, though, in, in the history of the nation of Israel is about 700 years before Uzziah, we find Israel came out of captivity in Egypt comes into the promised land and conquers this land that God had told them, I will give to you. And so they take this land and now they form a nation. And over time, the nation, the intention is that they would serve God, they would seek after God. But Israel, if, you, if you've read the historical narrative in the Old Testament, you've probably seen this cycle. Israel has this really simple pattern. Serve God, get lazy, stop serving God, bad things happen, cry out to God for help, God sends a deliverer, serve God, get lazy, stop serving God. It's the pattern. Over and over and over again throughout the book of Judges and First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, we see this process. And so 700 years earlier, they have taken this land, they have a nation, and over time, they have these kings. They have King Saul, and then King David, and then King Solomon. And then the nation actually divides into two separate nations, into Judah and Israel. Two nations, both serving God. And by the time we come to Uzziah in Second Chronicles 26, we find that Israel has had lots and lots of bad rulers. Like, we're not talking their democracy and they voted in a bad king and they'll vote him out in four years. We're talking, this guy was here for 50 years and was just selfishly taking advantage of the people. But when you come to Uzziah, Uzziah is different. Unlike many of the other kings, he actually devotes himself to God. He devotes himself to doing what God tells him to do, to, to serving God. And it's likely because he knew the stories from his dad and his grandfather. Where his grandfather had this amazing nation. It was prosperous. It was great. And then in pride began to brag about it and was conquered by an enemy nation. And he would have heard the story growing up from his dad of how his dad had fought many wars and God had helped him win. And then his dad, again, in pride, began to boast, look how much wealth I have. And an enemy nation came in and stole all of it. And so Uzziah, he knows the dangers of idolatry. He knows the dangers of serving false gods. He knows that, that God's 
the deal with God in this nation is serve me and I will protect you. If you don't serve me, I will withdraw my protection and things are going to happen that you're not going to enjoy. And so he devotes himself to God. So we pick up the story in in 26 verse 3, and it says, Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign. I was 16 in high school, up to no good. He was a king already. He reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. That is incredible. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, the prophet who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. He went out and made war against the Philistines, broke down the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabna and the wall of Ashdod. They had very creative names for their cities back in the day built cities in the territory of Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines, against the Arabs who lived in Gerbal, against the Meonites. The Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah, and his fame spread even to the border of Egypt, for he became very strong. Now, I'm not going to read the whole story because it gets really long, but, but essentially Uzziah, he trusts God, and God makes him strong. And he goes on and he builds walls. He builds watchtowers because he has this massive herd of animals and these massive vineyards and and this massive army that he personally outfits with weapons and armor. And the nation is prospering to the point that it says in, in, in verse, I think this is 15, his fame spread far for he was marvelously helped until he became strong. So Uzziah is a good king. And when he's serving God, good things happen. He is blessed. His nation is blessed to the point that another nation, like not people that liked him, but people that were terrified of him, were paying him money to not attack them. Like this isn't, you know, you, like if you, if you remember high school, this isn't like, oh, I'm going to pay you money so you don't beat me up if you're not terrified of the person, and there's not an active threat. Like, you pay a bully off because there's an active threat, and you don't want to get hurt, right? And Uzziah is that powerful that people are like, no, don't attack us. Please don't attack us. Don't hurt us. And he's a good king. But verse 16 says, when he had become strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he acted unfaithfully toward the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to make an offering on the altar of incense. So Uzziah, whole life serves God, serves God, serves God, serves God, avoids idols, avoids worshiping false gods except one. When he gets strong, he becomes proud. And the crazy thing about this sentence, I know it's, it's a little weird. It's like, oh, he acted unfaithfully by entering the temple and making an offering. What's the big deal? Well, back in that day and age, a king was considered to be the highest political authority in the land. Like they had this whole separation of church and state thing down to a pat. It was, you had the king and then you had the temple, very separate entities. 
And so the king was the highest political authority. They were, they were believed to be an ambassador of the God of the nation. They were believed to, um, to, to perform justice on the behalf of the God, to, to ensure the safety and well-being of the people. And, and a good king was loved and celebrated by the people. Bad king, not so much. But you know, that's how it is. And so Uzziah, as the king, is the highest political authority in the land. And as long as he serves God as the highest political authority in the land, he is blessed. Good things happen. The nation prospers. But one day, Uzziah, he gets proud. And he steps into the temple. And he tries to offer an offering on the altar. Again, they had a separation of church and state. So he was over here in politics. He was not allowed to be over here in, in the temple. See, in the ancient Israelite culture, in that time frame, you could not approach God. Only the priests could approach God in the temple and make offerings. An ordinary person, you couldn't go in. It wasn't that that was God's intention originally. We see Exodus 19 and 20. God invites the nation of Israel to come and have a relationship with him. And he says, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, come on the mountain and I will speak to you. And then chapter 20, they hear the sound of the trumpet and they look to Moses and they're like, no, we don't want to be anywhere near him. You talk to him and relay the message. And from that day on in the old covenant, the Israelite people had intermediaries. The priests would serve as the people that went in between God and the rest of the nation. And so Uzziah, that, that fortunately, side note, that changed with Jesus because through Jesus, now we all can approach the throne of grace with boldness. But this was how it was back in the Old Testament days. And so Uzziah is the highest political authority. He prospers. He serves God. It's amazing. He is strong. But when he gets strong, he becomes proud. And I, it doesn't say exactly what he was thinking, but I imagine it was something like, ooh, well, I'm so strong. Why don't I get to go and offer an offering in the temple? And he steps into the temple space where he's not allowed to be, and tries to seize spiritual authority in the land that God never intended to give him. In his pride, he violates God's law. And the natural consequence of that is he actually develops this debilitating skin disease, which makes it so he's not allowed to even be near anyone else the rest of his life. See, pride will build you up, but it will always, always eventually tear you down. This is why it says in Proverbs chapter 16, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Which is really a nice way of saying what Jesus says in, in Matthew 23. All who exalt themselves will be humbled and all who humble themselves will be exalted. But you see, that's what pride does, is it tries to make us think more of ourselves 
and to boast of ourselves. But the constant narrative we see in Scripture is when someone exalts themselves, when someone is proud, they always fall. See it in 1 Chronicles 26 with Uzziah. See it in the book of Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, who builds a giant statue for himself because he's like, look how awesome I am. One day he's standing on the roof of his palace looking out at his land like, I am amazing. Look at the amazing things I've done. And God comes to him and speaks to him and says, hey, because of your pride, you're going to walk in a field like an animal and eat the grass until you can humble yourself. For seven years, he was like a cow in a field until he humbled himself. We even see it in Matthew 18 with Jesus' disciples. They're arguing over who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It's me. No, it's me. No, you guys are both wrong. It's definitely me. And they come to Jesus. Jesus, who's the greatest? And Jesus looks at them and he says, no, 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 no. This isn't, greatness isn't what you think. Greatness is, are you going to become low and unimportant like this little kid? Pride leads to destruction. Pride will try to build you up or it'll try to tear you down depending on how successful you are. And tries to tell you your value is determined by what you do. See, pride manifests in many different ways in our lives. One of the ways is in performance and perfectionism. It's this drive, this desire to be perfect and to do things perfectly so other people will see you. And it can, it can come in many, many different ways. It could be successful in business. Could be having a C-level title behind your name. You're one company. You're the C, you're one person at your company. You're the CEO, really? Yep. It can come in religious performance. Like we've seen some people that, or I've not seen, I've, I've heard of some people who will go to church and serve, not because they love Jesus, but because they want to look good. It's like, I serve the church five times a week. I give 20% of my income. Um, I never sin. Of course you sin. You just start hiding it all. But like, I never sin. I'm perfect and I'm at church every Sunday. If your attitude is to do that, to look good, you're not serving Jesus, you're serving pride. And honestly, it, it, it's something, performance and perfectionism, it's something that affects all of us, I believe. Like I've, I've had moments where I've had to check myself because I'll have this idea of, oh, I need to build a big church for you, God. He's like, I never called you to build a big church. I called you to be faithful with what I've given you. And I had to check myself and realize, no, 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 my desire to build a big church wasn't about God, it was about me. Wanting other people to look at me and be like, oh, look, he's such a good lead pastor. His church has 10,000 people in it, or whatever, you know. Maybe one day. That's up to Jesus. But that's pride. 
It drives us to perform, to get our identity and our value based on how successful we are. Successful we are at work, how successful we are in our families, how successful you are in working out. It's like, I've got 6% body fat, yeah! I definitely don't. But pride also manifests. If we can throw up the next slide, I just, my mind just completely blanked there. It manifests in comparison and superiority. Just this idea that you compare yourself to someone else to determine your value. No, I, I like being honest with you guys, so I'm just, I have the mic, I'm going to be honest and tell on myself, but a couple months ago, this was a big issue for me. See, we're part of a denomination, and as part of a denomination, our denomination occasionally will have, um, like, district conference or something, like, there's, there's a whole AGM voting process and whatnot, and, and, and one day, I was reading through the paperwork that they sent us, and, and I happened to see, they, they have 15 committees with five, ten people being nominated for each one. I was reading through the list, and I happened to notice that somebody I went to Bible college with was being nominated for one of these district committees. And as soon as I saw it, this, like, pang of jealousy hit me. And I immediately stopped. I'm like, why am I jealous? I would never want to be on one of these committees. Like, nothing wrong with a committee. That just sounds really boring to me. I, I, I don't want anything to do with this. But I was feeling jealous, and, and I had to search my heart. And I realized it was because in my mind, I was saying, oh, she was being nominated. I wasn't nominated, so she must be better than me. It's insecurity, but it's also pride. It's saying, oh, my value is less than someone else's because they are more successful for, than me. But it can be either way. It could also be, oh, I'm better than that person. I have a nice warm house. I drive a nice car. I have a good job. I'm better than those people. Don't have those things. It's all pride. Because pride is based on the lie that our value is determined by our performance. So if you measure up, well, I must be valuable. I must matter. If you don't, then I must not matter. But it's a lie. Because your value is not based on anything you could ever do. Your value is only based on what God could do for you. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells us this parable, and he says this. This is verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, so a religious elite of the day, and the other a tax collector, which is basically like, well, you know, nobody likes the... It would be basically like instead of the CRA saying, hey, submit your taxes, oh, now you owe this much, somebody knocking on your door and saying, okay, you owe this much. Oh, and I added 10%, that's my tip. That was the tax collector. Nobody liked tax collectors. And so the, there's a Pharisee and a tax collector who went to pray. 
And Jesus tells us the Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I just picture he's giving him like the side eye, like how dare you even be praying near me? Like I'm so good and you're so bad. So I fast two, twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. I am amazing. Because I do all these things. But it says the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And this is the sobering line. Jesus says, I tell you, This man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. James 4 puts it a different way. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now I want you to notice something. This isn't Like me standing from the stage and being like, you need to be humble. This isn't like you're talking to a friend and like, yeah, I think humility is a big deal. This is Jesus saying, hey, if you act like this Pharisee, you don't want to know what's going to happen. Jesus is saying your value is not determined by how religious you are. Your value is not determined by how successful you are. Your value is not determined by how prestigious your position is. Like Pharisees, people would sometimes look up to them. Not all of them, but sometimes they would look up to them. Jesus is saying, no, your value is not determined by those things. Your value is determined by your willingness to come to your Father and let Him speak to you. See, pride will try to convince us that that we need to perform to be important. But God is saying, will you come to me so I can reveal to you just how important you are? So when it comes to dealing with the false God of pride, what, what can we do? How do we deal with this? How do we move past this? How, how do we find freedom from this? Of a really, really simple point. Discover the source of your true identity. Discover the source of your true value. See, in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul, he's writing to the church in Corinth, and and he's, he's telling them that at the start of this chapter, he's contrasting the difference between human wisdom and God's wisdom. It's like human wisdom says God's wisdom is stupid, but God's wisdom, it trumps everything. It's basically the point, if I summarize the first 25 verses of this chapter. And then he goes on and he says this. He says, consider your own call, brothers and sisters. So he's writing to a church of believers in Corinth. He's saying to them, consider your own call. Consider how you came to Jesus. He says, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to abolish things that are, so that no one may boast in the presence of God. In contrast, God is why you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. A lot of big words to say Jesus saved you. Not by your works, but by his doing. In order that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now the people to whom this was written, they lived in a culture where your value and importance in the culture, it was not actually determined by how much money you had. That's our culture. It was determined by whether or not you were born into a noble family. So you could be rich, a rich merchant with lots of money. It didn't matter. That person might have like $100 to their name, but they're like royalty because of who their parents were. And Paul is writing to these people and he's reminding them, this is where you came from. Like, you're a church of poor, impoverished, not important people according to society. He's saying, you are not wise by human standards. You are not strong by human standards. You are not of noble birth. And, and, and religious people tend to think, oh, yes, Paul, this is a great track. And they think the next thing he's going to say is, and that's right, because we need to remember how awful we are. So we stay humble. It's like, yeah, we should recognize their sin and bring it to the cross, receive forgiveness for it live in freedom. But who you were is not who you are because of Jesus. You know, baptism is that symbol of what happens at salvation where the Holy Spirit comes and washes us, cleanses us, sanctifies us. Everything you were, 2 Corinthians 5 says, the old, or 2 Corinthians 5 says that we are a new creation. See, everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new through the baptism that happens at salvation, we are cleansed. We are new. And Paul is reminding us that is who you were. You were broken. You were messed up. But God chose what other people discarded and he made you valuable. You know, this whole, this, or, or, in the summer we were talking, we did a series called Royals through the book of Ephesians, just highlighting the reality that as children of God, if you're a child of God, which the Bible tells us you are, if you believe in Jesus, that means you are a son or daughter of the King of Kings, which tells me you're royalty. But part of royalty, part of it is recognizing my, I, I actually have value as royalty, but part of it is also recognizing what I have, I didn't do myself. I didn't earn for myself. See, Deuteronomy chapter 8 says this. Moses is talking to the people of Israel. This is before they've entered the promised land, and he's just giving them this, this warning. He says, When you have eaten your fill and have built fine houses and live in them. And when your herds and flocks have multiplied and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied. So when you are blessed, 
when everything you've ever dreamed of comes to pass and you're successful and you have money and you have all of this amazing stuff, it says, then do not exalt yourself, forgetting the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness, an arid wasteland with poisonous snakes and scorpions. He really knows how to, he should work in a tourism office. He made water flow for you from Flint Rock. He fed you in the wilderness with manna that your ancestors did not know to humble you and to test you and in the end to do you good. So do not say to yourself, my power and my might and the might of my own hand has gotten me this wealth, but remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth so that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your ancestors as he is doing today. See, pride will try to tell you, I accomplished this. I did this. Look how amazing I am. But the reason that you can be successful and have that 6% body fat and achieve those goals and be, have all this success and achievement, it's because God made you. He gave you the strength to be successful in business. He gave you the strength to get up at 5 a.m. and work out. I don't have that strength. Maybe one day God will give that one to me, but I haven't been praying for it. Let's be real. Um, he gave us what we have for a reason. The achievements, the accomplishments, the successes you might have, it's because of God. But even if you don't have those accomplishments and those successes, your value is not determined by anything you can do. God doesn't say, ooh, when you drive Maserati, then you can be my child because my kid's got to have a fly car. God's like, no, 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 no. When you're broken, destitute, and alone, You can have a Corolla. You can be riding a bike. It doesn't matter to God. God loves you. Your value cannot come from things. It can only come from the guy who created you. God knows what he created you to do, and he knows what he put in you. You have immense value regardless of whether other people think you're successful or not. Because when God looks at you, he says, that is my child. That is right. I love you. So the God of pride, the false God of pride, will try to make us think we need to be successful to be valuable. But the truth is, it doesn't matter how successful you get, there will always be somebody more successful than you. There will always be somebody who's better at stuff than you. It makes you feel inferior. God of pride will try and tell you, oh, if you fail, you need to hide it so that nobody can see it. You need to just strive and work and push and, and accomplish things in order to be important. But but our Father, God, 
truth of God. Just say, God, I repent of this idol. I renounce any agreement I made with it. I give it to you. What do you want to give me in exchange? See, we never give something up without taking something on. God, I give you this idol. I give you this
Yes, amen, amen. All right, well, let's turn this meeting into a party by having some cake.